following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. If you have your Bibles, please open to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. Um, a few years ago, um, I was asked to write a commentary on Ezra and Nehemiah, and so I spent at least five years uh, with Ezra and Nehemiah, and um, a lot of people like these books because they teach us a lot about leadership, but it's not just about leadership, obviously. But we do learn a lot of good lessons uh, about leadership. Um, so some of you might think, okay, I'm, we're glad you came to teach Jordan something, right? <laughs> he needs to hear these lessons. Actually, <laughs> um, actually, uh, the first person we need to learn how to lead is ourselves. So if you cannot lead yourself, you cannot lead others. But first and foremost, we are asked to be able to lead ourselves. And God is giving us those um, principles to live by here in his word. Uh, but let me set the context. So remember that at one point, Israel was one nation that was founded. Uh, Remember, uh, the first king was Saul, and then you had David, and then you had Solomon. But after Solomon, God said, I'm going to break the kingdom in two. So in 922 BC, the kingdom was broken into two. You had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was taken into exile in 722 by the Assyrians. In 587, the southern kingdom was taken into the Babylonian exile, so... Uh, God kept sending prophets to tell them, hey guys, repent. If you don't repent, I'm going to take you into exile. And of course they didn't repent. But if you read the prophets, the prophets spoke a, a whole lot about, you have sinned, and because you have sinned, I'm going to send you into exile. But a lot of times we stop reading the, prof the prophets because they seem so negative. But you've got to keep reading because if you read the prophets, at the end, they always talk about, but in the end, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back. And that's what Ezra and Nehemiah is all about. They, God is bringing them back. So just like there were three deportations into exile, there's now three returns from exile. One under, the first under Zerubbabel, the second one under Ezra, and the third one under Nehemiah. And this is where in this text right here. God appoints a pagan king by the name of Cyrus to say, hey guys, you can go back to your country and rebuild your temple. Not only can you go back, I'm going to give you money from the treasury to rebuild your temple. Is God faithful? Yeah. If God says, I'm going to bring you back, I'm going to bring you back. God is always faithful. 
And he fulfills his promise and brings them back. And again, he uses a pagan king. Can God use a pagan king to accomplish his purposes? Uh, you better believe it. And you, you better hope he does now. I grew up in a, a communist country with a communist dictator, so I know how it feels. But we're not going to do politics this morning. But it's embedded in our lives. It's like you can't separate it, right? Let's look at Nehemiah. First of all, we learned that Nehemiah sees the need for reconstruction. See, the, when the Babylonians came, they not only tore down the temple, they torn down the, the wall, which represented security. So that's how the book of Nehemiah opens. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates are destroyed by fire. So the first thing we see is that Nehemiah sees the need for reconstruction. A good leader always sees the need for reconstruction. And not only that, but he, he surrounds himself with people that will tell them the truth. Now think about Hanani. Hanani could have said, hey, Nehemiah, things are not that bad, you know. I mean, if you compare it with Babylon or other places, it's, we're actually doing pretty good. But he's not saying that. He is telling Nehemiah not what he wants to hear, but what he needs to hear. The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. My brothers and sisters, we need to surround ourselves with people who tell us the truth. Hanani didn't hide any of the details. And our churches also need to have people that don't ignore problems, don't deny problems, don't minimize problems, but we need to identify the problems and then we need obviously to tackle them. But I like Nehemiah, that when Nehemiah hears the need, and sees, hey, there's a problem in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem needs rebuilding. He doesn't say all of a sudden, okay, now we need to do something, we're going to go and do it. No. Look what happens next. He not only sees the need, he feels the need for reconstruction. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of, of heaven. Unfortunately, we live in a, a a society that considers weeping a sign of weakness. But if you read in the Bible, the great men and women of the Bible wept, not because they were weak, but because they were strong. You know who wept? Jeremiah. A guy who served for about 41 years and maybe had one or two converts. I would say that's strong. Jesus wept, Paul wept, and they all wept because they loved the people they were ministering to, and they felt the need, and good leaders weep. 
A godly leader has a sensitive heart. And here we see that Nehemiah's heart is broken. Now, by the way, where, where did he live at the time? He lived in Susa, the capital of the Persian Empire. He had a good paying job at the, at the court of the king. He was the cupbearer to the king. He could have said, hey, I got a good job. You know, I'm glad I'm not there anymore. But he doesn't say that. He, he weeps and he feels the need for what happened, needs to happen. George Bernard Shaw said that the worst sin toward our fellow creatures is not that we hate them, but that we are indifferent towards them. We're like, we don't care. But we don't see that in a godly leader always feels the need. Someone else said, visions are born in the soul of a man or a woman who is consumed with the tension between what is and what could be. Look at Nehemiah's heart. He sat down and wept and mourned for days. Can I ask you when it was the last time we wept because of the conditions that are happening in our lives, in our families, in our churches, in our nation? Nehemiah sees the need. He feels the need. And then he shares the need. But he doesn't share the need with the elder board. He shares the need with, with God. Look what he does next. He goes to prayer. There are 12 prayers recorded in the book of Nehemiah. I'm sure he prayed more than that. But 12 of the prayers are recorded. And we see that Nehemiah, whenever there's a problem, he, he runs to God in prayer. It's like we, we sang, I need you, Lord, I need you. How often? Every moment. Every moment we need him. And Nehemiah knows that. And he goes to, to prayer and listen to his prayer. Nehemiah 1, starting in verse 5. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. See, in, in prayer, he, he extols God, he exalts God, but in prayer, he also confesses sin. Six, verses 6 and 7, Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which, now li listen to these words. He says, with the sins that they have committed. No, he says, the sins that we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules and that you commanded your servant Moses. A good leader, my dear brothers and sisters, always identifies with his people. He never says, oh, you sinners. <laughs> no, no. We have sinned. We have sinned. We're, by the way, he's not the only one. Daniel, when Daniel prays, he doesn't say, oh, you guys have. No, we have sinned. We have to identify ourselves with those people around us. But again, he doesn't start with meeting with people. He starts in prayer. It's important to see the need. It's important to feel the need. But most importantly, it's important for us to get down on our knees and pray to God when there's a need. Share it with God. Charles Spurgeon said, I would rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. 
And I would say, why not teach 11 to pray and preach? <laughs> I don't know. R.A. Torrey said, It was a masterstroke of the devil to get the church and ministry to lay aside the mighty weapon of prayer. He does not mind at all if the church expands her organizations and her deftly contrived machinery for the conquest of the world for Christ if she will only give up praying. He laughs softly as he looks at the church today and says under his breath, you can have your Sunday schools, your social organizations, your grand choirs, and even your revival efforts, as long as you do not bring the power of Almighty God into the earnest, persistent, and believing prayer. Now again, I'm not, I don't want to uh, make us feel bad this morning, you know, to we're looking at our prayer life and say, well, it's, it's not that great. Look, it's okay, but we need to start somewhere. And we need to understand that there is a need for reconstruction in our lives personally, in our lives as a family, in our life as a church, in our life as a nation. We need to start in prayer. Uh, growing up in Romania, I think I told you this many times, and you're probably sick and tired of hearing it. But when, I went, when we go, went to church in the uh, Sunday mornings, a church in Romania, it's, church started at 9 o'clock. By the way, we never canceled church. <laughs> I was texting with uh, Jordan last night, and I told him, look, the Apostle Paul never can cancel church. But he also didn't live in Indiana. <laughs> uh, context is important. <laughs> but in Romania, in Romania, we never canceled church because the communists canceled it for us. You know, like they closed churches, and they killed pastors, and demolished churches. So we would actually gather every time we could because we knew that they could always come and, and not let us meet. But when we would go to church, I remember, again, I grew up in the church. My, my dad was the choir director of the church, um, of the choir. And uh, at 9 o'clock every day, every Sunday, we would start with prayer. 9 to 10 was prayer. 10 to 11, Sunday school. 11 to 12, worship service. Every Sunday. No changes. What do you think went out the window first? The prayer. So, by the way, uh, we came to the United States. We lived in uh, Southern California, and my parents still live there. And um, same thing, 9 to 10, prayer. 10 to 11, Sunday school. 11 to 12, worship service. But then we got Americanized. So Americans don't do that. We got to follow what they do. So the first thing that went was what? Prayer. 9 to 10 hours. Ah, you don't have to come to prayer. Just come 10 o'clock. Come to the Sunday school hour. What do you think went out next? The Sunday school. So now if you just come from 11 to 12, you know, you're good. By the way, where did we learn the 9 to 12? Where? No, no, no. I laughed like it was funny. Yeah, but where do, we, where do we learn it? From you guys. Americans. We learn it from Americans. You guys had that in your church services. Where do you think we got the hymns we sing in Romania? From you guys. Everything is translated from you. We learned from you. But you also have to learn from us. They got to go back. 
if you really want revival, if we say we want revival, it won't happen unless we pray. If we want revival, it won't happen unless we dig deep into the Word. And it doesn't matter if you do it Sunday morning or Wednesday night or whenever you guys do it. Bowling? You, you bowl? Do you read the Bible at bowling? <laughs> By the way, if you bowl and uh, you're out of breath, you're probably a professional bowler. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> Back to, the, to Romania. You know what else we have learned from you? you, you we didn't have uh, Bibles. You know, we couldn't have printing presses because the communists were using the printing presses to print propaganda. They would not allow us to print Bibles. So we would get the Bibles from America and from Germany. So Americans would come and smuggle Bibles. So I want to thank you for that. You smuggled uh, Elvis Presley. So uh, music of Elvis Presley, Frank Sinatra, Abba, Bonnie M, and other uh, things like that. But also you, you smuggled Bill Gaither. And I remember a song that uh, uh, <clears throat> one of the guys that in his homecomings would do, um, Mosey Lister. And he, uh, his song was a question. It goes like this, how long has it been since you talked with the Lord? How long since you prayed? How long since you stayed on your knees till the light shone through? How long has it been since you knelt by your bed and prayed to the Lord up in heaven? How long since you knew that he'd answer you and would keep you the night, the long night through? How long has it been since you woke with the dawn and felt that this day is worth living? Can you call him your friend? How long has it been? since you knew that he cared for you. My dear brothers and sisters, Nehemiah is a great leader because not only does he see the need for reconstruction, not only does he feel it and he, he weeps and he fasts, and not only does he share it with God, but ultimately, if you read the book, for the rest of the book, Nehemiah meets the need for reconstruction. It's not enough, by the way, to pray. You got to start there, but there is a time you got to get off of your knees and do something. You got to start on your knees, but then you got to get up and do something. Some people say, well, I'm just a prayer warrior. There is no such thing. All of us should be prayer warriors. All of us should be. But there is a time when you got to get off the knees and start doing something. And Nehemiah does something because he is a man of vision. Notice in chapter 2, the king said to me, starting in verse 4, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servants have found favor in your sight, then send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone? And one will return. So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to, to me, to the governors of the province beyond the river, that let me pass through until I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaf, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates and the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city. 
and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. See, vision is seeing something that other people don't see. Also seeing something that can be, not what it is, but what can be. It is not enough, by the way, to have vision. You've got to take that vision and put it into action. Just like it's not enough to do action without vision. They've got to go together. Here's what someone wise once said. It says, a vision without action is called a daydream. A vision without action is called a daydream. But then again, action without vision is called a nightmare. Why do you do it? Well, we do it because that's the way we've always done it. No. A vision without action is a daydream, but action without vision is called a nightmare. So let me ask you, my dear brothers and sisters, are we men and women of vision? Can we see what can be? Not what it is, but what can be? I like to read American history and how God has blessed this country since its inception. And uh, I read about some people who came to the northeast coast of America about 350 years ago. The first year they established a town site. The next year they elected a town government. The third year the town government planned to build a road five miles westward into the wilderness. Now think about that. So they were east. They said, hey, we, we got to go west. Do you know what they did the fourth year? In the fourth year, the people tried to impeach their town government because they thought it was a waste of public funds to build a road five miles western into the wilderness. <laughs> Who needs to go westward anyway, right? So here are people, think about this. A people who had the vision to come 3,000 miles across an ocean and overcome hardships to get here. But when they got here, they didn't have any more vision to go westward. Do you see how silly sometimes it is? And sometimes, sometimes we are. Nehemiah is a man of vision. And Nehemiah accomplishes the reconstruction because he does not compromise. See, a leader does what he does in the midst of opposition. If you read Nehemiah, you'll see he always gets opposition, especially in chapter 2, starting in verse 10, from two guys named Sambalat and Tobiah. Nehemiah chapter 2, starting in verse 10, When Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard that we are rebuilding, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. There will always be people who won't like the fact that you're doing something good. You have to understand that. Opposition is not a sign that you're doing something wrong. A lot of times opposition is a sign that you're doing something right. And Nehemiah gets opposition when he wants to rebuild from these guys who don't care about God or his work. Verse 18. He says, and I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me and also of the words that the king has spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. This is the people of Israel. They said, we're going to do it with you. Verse 19 again. But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant 
and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Verse 20. So what we have on the screen. That I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. By the way, remember verse 10 I told you who were the two guys who were opposing Nehemiah? Sanballat and Tobiah. Remember those two guys? Did you catch that in verse 18 from 2 there's now three of them? In verse 18 already we have three. You have uh, verse 19. You have Sanballat, you have Tobiah, and then you have Geshem. You know, just because you're doing a good thing doesn't mean the opposition will go down. It might go up. But that doesn't matter. You've got to keep doing what God has called you to do. I love what our 26th president, Theodore Roosevelt, said. He said about people like Tobiah and Sambalite and Geshem. He said, it's not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbled or where the doer of good deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, and spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. You know people like that? You know critics like that? Who never do anything, but they are specializing critiquing and criticizing. I'm here to tell you that criticizing is not a spiritual gift. You can look it up. Nehemiah does not compromise. And Nehemiah perseveres. He keeps going, he keeps going. These guys, by the way, will continue with assaults upon Yemiah. They will attack his character. They will threaten his life. They will do all these things, and Yemiah keeps going. He prays, and he continues persevering. At one point, he's got a sword in one hand and a brick on the other. Sometimes you've got to work like that. With a sword in one hand and a brick on the other. But he continues and he continues and he builds the wall. Nehemiah 4, 6. So we built the wall and the wall was joined together to half its height for the people and the mind of work. This is chapter 4. In chapter 6, verse 15, the work is finished. In record time, they built the wall around the city, which, was, which meant security for the city. That's because Nehemiah saw the need, he felt the need, he shared the need, and then he met the need. While he had opposition, he doesn't compromise, he perseveres. But you got to do the work. You got to do the work. I read another amusing story from American history from uh, General Stonewall Jackson. Jackson's army found itself on the other side of a river 
what he needed to be on the other side. After telling his engineers to plan and build a bridge so the army could cross, he called his wagon master in and tell him that he was an urgent need that the wagon train cross the river as soon as possible. The wagon master started gathering all the logs, rocks, and fence rails he could find and build a bridge. Long before daylight, General Jackson told his Told, was told by his wagon master that all the wagons and artillery had crossed the river. General Jackson asked, where are the engineers and what are they doing? The wagon master reply was this, the engineers are still in the tent drawing up the plans for the bridge. <laughs> Isn't that sometimes like us? God wants us to do something and we're still in the tent drawing up plans. God will bring people in our lives that don't know Jesus and we got to tell them about Jesus, but we're not telling them because we're still in the Bible study that teaches us how to share the gospel with those people. Amen. You want to testify? I don't know what you need rebuilding. Maybe it's your own life. Pray to God that he will give you the wisdom to see what you need to rebuild. And then you might, be, you might need to do like Nehemiah. Sit down and weep over your condition. Again, maybe it's you, maybe it's your family, maybe it's your, uh, some other relationships. I don't know what it is. You know. But ask God to give you the wisdom to, to not just see the need, but to feel the need. And to then get down on your knees and talk to God about it and say, hey, I, I want to do it right. But then, then don't compromise and persevere and do what God is telling you to do. We need third class passengers. Uh, so when uh, Jordan put that nice picture with the airplane, he missed the whole point. <laughs> Context is important. Uh, back in the day when uh, you had carriages like this in America, there was a guy who wanted to go from one place to another and went to get a ticket for a carriage ride. So the lady told him, well, there are first class tickets, there are second-class tickets, and there are third-class tickets. Well, the guy looks in the carriage, all the seats are the same. So the guy says, oh, I'll get a third-class seat. It's only 25 bucks. First-class seat, it was 100 bucks. So this guy was really proud of himself because he saved money. So give me a third-class seat. So a lot of people got in, some first-class, some second-class, some third-class. They kept going, they, they started going, and at one point they got into a really tough hill. So the, the guy who was driving the carriage said, okay, first class passengers, sit down. Second class passengers, get out. Third class passengers, get out and push. You see why it was so cheap? Because you had to do something about it. And what I want to argue, my dear brothers and sisters, and in church, 
we need to be third-class passengers to push. Now, I understand sometimes you are brand new in the faith or you might be sick. You might, you might have to be a first-class citizen for a while. And you might need to just sit there and be ministered to I understand that. But most of us need to be third-class passengers to get out and push and do something for the work of the kingdom. A good leader leads himself and then leads his family and then leads his church and then so forth and so on. Again, I don't know why you need rebuilding. But I pray that you will be a third-class passenger. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for a man like Nehemiah who, who persevered even though things got tough at some point. Forgive us for the many times when, uh, when we encounter opposition, we just give up. I pray that all of us, you'll give all of us the wisdom and the vision to see how things are, but give us the, the vision to know how they could be. Touch our hearts and touch our eyes. Sometimes we need tears to flow out of them, tears of repentance. Teach us what it means to share the need with you and to become men and women of, of prayer. Help us not to compromise scripture truth, biblical principles, but to persevere and to keep going when it's tough to get out and push. I pray that this church will be filled with third-class passengers that will do the work of ministry in such a way that your name will be glorified, your church will be edified, and many people will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. In his name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.